Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. And I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Buck Sanders and Greg Barnes. Jason Staples will join us in a little bit, but we're going to do this postseason wrap look ahead 2018 podcast. And Greg, I'll start with you. I know you've been on the West Coast, so the jet lag factor is big, but your take on what Carolina needs to do in the offseason to have a better year in 2018 than they did in 2017. Well, I think that the easy answer is, number one, stay healthy, right? I think we could all say that, so let's just get a little bit beyond that. For me, I think it's really got to be a matter of, of the trenches because coming into this season, uh, we really talked up the fact that, hey, they've got a deep offensive line. Uh, these This defensive line is going to be stout. You know, North Carolina's rotation on the defensive line this year had five four-stars. Uh, there's a lot of programs around this country that would kill to have that type of talent up front. But when you kind of look back at what transpired in 2017, and yes, injuries played a role, uh, but the offensive line uh, was really a train wreck for a large part of the year. And the defensive line, while it was steady, um, I don't know that you could say it was necessarily good. And so you know, for me, coming into the year, I really thought that Carolina could have success uh, in the trenches. And because they, they did not have a lot of success, that's really why you look at some of these numbers on both sides of the ball and, and none of them are good. So for me, that's that's the key component. You know, offensive line, you know, at least on the defensive line, you get a lot of those guys back. You do lose a you know starter and, and Dewan Drennan. Uh, you get Tyler Powell back, and, and most of those guys are back. So they have another year to kind of build on what they did this year. Offensive line was, I mean, Chris Kapilovic really played you know six guys this year. Um, the Grant Williams suite was hurt, so he'll be back. But four of the guys that he really relied on. Or seniors, and they were all kids that were you know, double-digit starters in you know, starts in their careers. So, how do you replace that? And when you do replace that, I mean, you're talking about offensive line that really wasn't that good, and now you're losing four starters off that line. So, you, know, I think the offensive line is is probably the biggest key for me this offseason for UNC, but but the trenches uh, as a whole. Yeah, I would rank them second in my thing buck i'll go to you for your number one thing uh, greg presents an ominous picture at least on the offensive line side well you know i would uh agree with a lot of what greg had to say one point to keep in mind is that i really believe that north carolina did its dead level best to make sure that they did not have to pull the red shirt off of a bunch of offensive line prospects that they have. They had also had a couple of those guys hurt. I think Tyler Pritchett and Luke Elder were both hurt. 
One of them, I believe, Greg, if I'm not mistaken, was out for the year early on. That, that may have been Pritchett. So yeah, he was he and, wasn't and out they, for the year, but he wasn't available to play until the second half of the season. And and Luke Elder was also hurt for a good part of the season, from what I understand. He, Jonah he, Melton he was out for the year. Yeah. yeah, Jonah Melton, a true freshman. They didn't want to pull the red shirt off of him. I, he was off, obviously also. Uh, rehabbing from an injury he had as a senior in high school. There's uh, and Marcus McKeithen. I think Greg was pretty high on him. Uh, I think he was would have probably been available to play had they needed him. And I think they did their dead level best to to keep his red shirt on during the season. So the the fact that they only played six guys, I think a lot of that had to do with their determination not to play any of those guys earlier than they absolutely needed to. So that's, that's one thing. Uh, but I, I do uh, take Greg's point that uh, replacing those four seniors is something to keep an eye on, you know, next year, whether or not Tommy Hatton ever comes back and, and actually plays football for North Carolina again. Uh, he did show up, I believe, down the the stretch, at least on the sidelines. So perhaps he's, he's back. We don't know about that. So there's there's a lot of moving pieces, I think, on the offensive line. Defensive line, I think, will be okay. But my number one thing looking forward to next year, I think, is quarterback play. Uh, they, they, they're going to have to find an answer there. And... You know, I get beat up a little bit for saying this some from some people, but I, I'm not sure Nathan Elliott is the answer. I, I think North Carolina obviously played better offensively down the stretch once he became the starter. Certainly there was seemed to be more effort and intensity on that side of the ball when he came when he came in the game. I'm just not sure he's the the long term answer or the twenty eighteen answer. So how that quarterback situation shakes out and if somebody whether it's Surratt or Logan Bird or you know steps up even the true freshman Jace Reuter steps up into that position or or Elliott improves you know could be another obvious answer but I, I think the quarterback position because North Carolina whether we like it or not they live and die based on how efficient their offensive is. Offense is. If their offense isn't very good, I'm not convinced that North Carolina's defense is ever going to be good enough to keep them in football games against good competition, other good teams. So the, the offense has got to get straightened out, and I think that starts at the quarterback position. I, I'm sort of 50-50 there, Buck. I mean, if the offensive line's not any good, then it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. You look at the beginning of this year, Surratt got beat to death. The offensive line finally figured it out a little bit, and Elliott had more success. But I don't. I, I agree with you that I'm not so sure Elliott's the answer. And, Greg, I'll ask you this portion of it. I, I felt like if Elliott would have – been average against NC State, and I'm not knocking the kid at all. Uh, he plays as hard as he possibly can. But if he would had hit, you know, 
three or four more throws, that game's completely different. Carolina may hold on to win it. But your thoughts on the quarterback position? I mean, is Carolina's quarterback of 2018 in Chapel Hill right now, or is it going to be rooted to freshman? I just I can't see a true freshman being that guy. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, just, just think about this. Brandon Harris came in as a guy that had a lot of experience at the college level, and uh, he had a really hard time learning the offense quickly, and that put him behind the eight ball, and uh, that's one of the reasons that he didn't play a whole lot early in the year. So while it is a rather simple offense, um, it's still complex enough, and there's still enough reads involved where it takes some time to kind of kind of work into it. Um, and so, you know, I, I have a hard time seeing a true freshman coming in and being any better than, than Elliott and, and Chaz. So, so what I would say is this. Did Elliott play great against State? No, he did not. But, I mean, this is his third career start, and he's a young guy. And, I mean, that, that applies to Chaz Surratt, too. I mean, this is not a, a veteran coming into this year. We knew before the season started that the textbook plan that Larry Fedora wanted was for Brandon Harris to pick up the offense, to start, to play this season, to give Chaz Surratt another year to develop. Surratt was robbed of that opportunity when, when Harris didn't live up to his capabilities or to expectations, I should say. So, I mean, you know, there's, there's blame on Surratt for, for not maybe handling it better, for not playing better. But he's still a young kid. Um, and I don't think, you know, they signed him thinking, hey, this is a guy that's going to come in. He's He's got the potential of Mitch Trubisky where he could possibly play as a retro freshman and start for three or four years. But there is potential there. We saw that potential early in the year when the offense was was pretty healthy. Uh, but as the injury started to mount, you know, his production really you know, took a nosedive. So I, I think when you factor in a, another full offseason, um, another training camp, you know, made me avoid some of these injuries. I think either Elliott or Surratt, they're both going to look better next year. Now, does that mean that they are the guys that are going to lead North Carolina back to the ACC championship game at some point? I don't know that. I, I, you know, at this point in time, it's way too early to say those guys have that kind of potential. Are they good enough to get North Carolina to a bowl game? Sure. You know, no question about that. But the gap there, okay, Trying to be elite, trying to be one of the best teams in the ACC versus being average, you go into the belt bowl. That's a pretty wide gap. And so their development and how the offensive staff uh, helps those guys along will really determine that. And so you maybe Ruder comes in and shocks everybody, uh, but we haven't seen that uh, around these parts in a long time. That's kind of a rarity. And so I, I do think that next year's starter is is on roster right now. Buck, do you think playing Surratt this year hurt his development for the future? And I'm not saying they had a choice at all, but do you think that Surratt's time that he got, I think Elliott's time will help him for next year. But given what Surratt went through, I'm not so sure. Well, you know, I think that depends on uh, the six inches between Surratt's ears. Certainly it had the potential to hurt him. Uh, because, you know, when you go through a year like that and you don't experience you know, a level of success that you can kind of hang your hat on, 
certainly you're going to have questions, you know, going into the next year. And then what happens if he bumps into some adversity during a game? Is he going to think back to 2017 and, and how that all, how, how he performed during that year? You know, I think that's going to be up to him in, in large measure. I will say that I guess it was the, uh, was it the Western Carolina game? He came in late and uh, played a, you know, a couple of series, had a long run, completed a couple of passes, including the touchdown pass. That was his last experience, really, and it was a good one, as limited as it was. So I think that's is in large measure going to be dependent on Chas Ratt and his mental toughness. We'll get Jason's opinions on that at some point, but I'll tell you all my issue with this team, and I think it's got to be improved. And, Greg, i get your comments first. I think the discipline has got to improve. I think you are what you are on the offensive line. Those guys, you know, unless they go out and recruit a bunch of five stars, we know what they're going to have there next year. And they should be better. As And if they can stay healthy, they can absolutely be much better than they were. Same with the defensive line. Those guys – you know, I've said I thought the defense looked better than it did. The numbers don't bear that out. And Greg, you've pointed that out quite well in the past. But the discipline issue is what bothers me the most watching North Carolina football. NC State game, what'd they have, Greg? 10, 12 penalties or yeah, you know, over 100 yards? Yeah. I mean, and it's not just a one time thing, it's a consistent thing. So, Greg, in your opinion, how does that get corrected? Or at this point, in Larry Fedora's career, because I think it's a coaching issue, it's 100% a coaching issue, kind of is what it is, and North Carolina just deals with it. They're not good enough on the field to overcome it um, unless you're talking 2015 and they were better in the penalty um, realm in that year anyway. So, thoughts? Well, Larry Fedora took over the UNC program in 2012, and so over the last six years, UNC is the most penalized team in the ACC as a whole. Clearly not a good thing. And I've asked Fedora about this various times over the years. And to his credit, he says, look, I have refs at every single practice. We call it tight. They have positive reinforcement. And he has the Tar Heel circle, which is basically on both sides of the ball um, after a practice and after corrections on Sunday. You know, the guys will get into a circle and the coach will call out, you know, various players. They'll come to the middle, say, hey, I'm such and such. I had this many mistakes. And penalties are included in that. And however many mistakes the kid has, you know, all of his teammates have to do up-downs. Um, there's also some some running involved. So it's not like he's not doing anything. He's He's tried some things to try to correct this issue. But it's been a persistent issue since he took his you know, first head coaching job at Southern Miss back in 2008. So I, I really think the key is going to be for him, and he he's, may have already done this, um, but to reach out to you know, fellow coaches to try to get a handle on some of these situations. Now, this year you can say, hey, yeah, they, they set a record for penalty yards, but you know a lot of young guys had to play. They had all the injuries. And you know, so I give him I give him some leeway with that. But you're exactly right that it has been a problem throughout his coaching tenure. And I don't exactly know the answer to that, Tommy. 
and I, you know, clearly I'd say he he doesn't either, and that's why I think he kind of needs to. Um, you know, these guys always are you know, poking and prodding other coaches for tips on defensive schemes and new offensive plays, and so you, you would think that that would apply to discipline and handling this these penalties as well. And that noise you heard was Jason Staples joining our Uber conference. Jason, I'll get you in, get you caught up to speed. Your biggest thing for North Carolina heading into 2018, give me one big thing that you look for improvement on for the Tar Heels. Uh, how about health? <laughs> Except health. We didn't tell you that when we were catching you. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think finding some solutions in terms of uh, the passing game, and that involves both protection and the court it's all it's really three three things protection quarterback and wide receiver but it's one thing can carolina find a way to stretch the field and have some reliable balance in the passing game to me that's the one thing for next year that that i'm looking for is are they able to 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 threaten teams in two dimensions so that you don't have a spread offense where teams are basically able to defend you like you're not spreading the field that to me is 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 the big thing all right, and w- when you joined us, Greg was discussing the discipline issue and how Larry Fedora's teams have been the most penalized every year at North Carolina um, since he got there, and it was also an issue at Southern Miss. And let me go to Buck. Buck, your take on how that gets corrected or if it's just a thing, because it is probably the most uh, frustrating thing to watch. You know, you can deal with guys not being as good. You can deal with guys getting beat on the field, but the consistency of the penalties that North Carolina has year in and year out, game in and game out, is probably the biggest thing that, I'm, that I'll look for to see if there's any change next year, because I think there has to be. Well, certainly it has been a chronic issue under Larry Fedora at, at North Carolina. I don't know if he can reach out to other coaches and get, you know, some tips on how to prevent that teams go through this, uh, periodically. And, and if you look at the year, they did have a great season. They were the fourth least penalized team in the ACC. So he's had, you know, 2015 as a exemplar of a team that did get through the year doing very well and not getting penalized. Most years, it's not been that way. Some other teams that have not done all that hot in terms of uh, penalties this year, he can't reach out to Urban Meyer for advice because they were penalized about the same amount as North Carolina. He can't reach out to Willie Taggart at Oregon or uh, Charlie Strong at Southern Florida or a bunch of other teams, Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley, uh, you, you can't get a lot of uh, help from them because they were just as heavily penalized this year as anybody else. Uh, Oregon, in fact, was dead last. South uh, Florida was next to last. UCLA was 127 out of the bunch. So you can't ask Jim Moore, although Jim Moore is available for conversation, I suspect. <laughs> but, you know, I I don't know. I don't know the answer there. I, I don't know. I think that 
certainly he can reach out and, and talk to some people that don't have a lot of penalties. Sometimes it's a schematic thing. If, if you look at one of the teams that's one of the least penalized every year, it's Georgia Tech. And, and I think partially that's uh, because of the offensive scheme they run. You're not going to get a lot of the kinds of penalties, pre-snap penalties out of Georgia Tech. There's not going to be a lot of movement. Oh, there's, there's going to be plenty not... of movement. It's not going to get called. <laughs> We've seen well, that. But, you know, typically, you know, Georgia Tech, I mean, this year, uh, they're the fifth less penalized, least penalized team in the nation. So, you know, I, I think sometimes that's uh, scheme dependent. Pittsburgh is another team that does a pretty good job in not getting flags. And, and why that is, I don't know, because if I was a referee, I'd be flagging Arducci like every other play um, <laughs> for getting yelled at so much. So I, I don't know the answer there. And, and I don't know how you can say, well, this, I'm going to be looking at the number of penalties that gets called on North Carolina. And, and then I'm going to say that's the number one important thing that might change. It might not, it might not have anything to do with, how they approach it, how they practice it, how they try to deal with it, uh, the discipline they try to impose on the team. To a certain point, it is what it is. Jason, how do you correct it? I mean, as a coach, or is it that big a deal? Do you even care about it that much when, me, when you're out there coaching your team? To me, it depends on the, on the nature of the penalties. So there are aggression penalties. And then there are stupid penalties. <laughs> and I have very little patience for stupid penalties. These are, you know, false starts, offside penalties where you're not watching the football uh, on, on the defensive line, that sort of thing. You know, taunting penalties where, you know, you're just, you're, you're, you're talking too much or you're doing some of that stuff that you know is going to get called. Certain kinds of, you know, late head out of bounds or whatever, if, if you know, if, if it's really clear you have, have space, you know, some of those things, those are stupid penalties. And I have very little patience for that. There are other penalties where, you know, let's say you, you, you know, you rough the passer because you, you, you take that just slight extra step and you bury the guy, you know, that might be a 15 yarder. I'm willing to take once in a while. <laughs> two fifteen, Yeah. But to your point there and whether they're the right or wrong call, two of those potentially cost North Carolina ball games this year. Yeah. Now one the of them first was the, and the last. One of them was the targeting call, which was this is not a situation where it's you're you're in the echo the uh, you know, right as the guy follows through or whatever. He took a full on step and targeted. You don't coach a guy to do that. That that's a little different. I don't have much again, that's a stupid penalty where he had plenty of time to load up and to and and he clearly targeted the head. That's a problem. You, you can't tolerate that. But with, with some other stuff, I mean, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay with a pass interference penalty. When you get beat over the top, I'd rather you take the 15 yards than give up 60. So sometimes penalties are okay. Sometimes, you know, you, you teach guys to hold certain ways, and sometimes it's going to get called. And, you know, based on what I've seen, certain crews have certain biases, and they may call 
certain types of things a little bit differently than others or certain teams differently than others. But, you know, you can't control that. But everybody hold every team holds it a little bit on every play. So some of that stuff's beyond your control. But it's the things, the pre-snap penalties, the dead ball penalties, that stuff is stupid. And that's the stuff where you try to find ways to make sure that, you know, your team is prepared not to do that stuff so that when you're going through your 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 cadences in practice. You're you constantly have your quarterbacks vary in their cadence. You have you know all sorts of stuff with motion, dealing with motion and and shifts and all this stuff for your defense to have to see. So they're always going on the ball, and you have penalties for that in flow in the flow of practice that are built in. Otherwise, you're going to continue to have problems with them. And even if you do those things, it doesn't always fix it. But again, there are some things. I think even in the way that you do the off season conditioning stuff can affect that. And and that's one of the things that back when I was at Florida State, we always had at the end of our off-season conditioning uh stuff in February, we always had a flip drill where everybody had to do a specific series of commands on and off the ground and every player had to be exactly in sync and everybody's dog tired at that point. But if somebody screwed up, then all of a sudden you had up downs, you had to start over, you had to do different things and it's learning to to keep focus, to keep your attention in those situations, even that stuff in the off season that can help foster the kind of focus and discipline you need to prevent some of those stupid penalties. And I think a lot of that starts off the field outside, you know, practice and in off season conditioning in how guys are, are, you know, handling things, even in the locker room, some some of that stuff carries over and that's where the where a lot of that focus comes in. I think that's that's how you have to handle some of that. Good stuff there. When we come back from break, we'll talk more about the wrap of 17 heading into 18 after these messages. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and 1,000 euro cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and 1,000 euro cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Greg, I'm going to come back to you and, and ask you a question about from the message boards. Folks are asking about coaching changes and, and position coach changes and whatnot. Do you think any will occur? Do you think any are needed? Two very different questions, I know, but your thoughts on those. Yeah, that that is a great question, Tommy. Wow. Yeah, I understand the concern over the office of coordinator situation. Um, and I agree that when you look at where Larry Fedora has had his most success, is with Blake Anderson and Seth Luttrell uh, running the show. Kind of the the epitome of the issues with kind of the OC3 deal they've got going on now is, I mean, look at the Georgia game last year. Fedora was involved with the play calling. 
he gets upset over a illegal you know, receiver downfield call. He's arguing with the refs. The next play call is the uh, pass in the end zone to Elijah Hood. That's a safety that essentially flips the game in, in the Bulldogs' favor. And after the game, you know, Fedora pretty much said that you know I, I was still worked up about the the penalty and really wasn't involved with that play call. So I think that kind of speaks to kind of a, a bigger issue of you know, if he wants to be the offensive coordinator, that's fine. But maybe he's got to have somebody else on the staff helping with some of the game management issues because there have been a number of those over the years, whether it's clock management or, or whatever it may be. It's hard to do all of that. Some and have he, done And that was even when he did have strong coordinators too. True, exactly, exactly. Um, and so I think that's, that's kind of the issue is I think most people would like him to pick one guy. And I understand Chris Kabilovic is listed as the offensive coordinator. And so people say, well, you know, his head's got to roll. But he's been Fedora's offensive uh, line coach for his entire head coaching career. And you know, Fedora clearly likes what he does with the offensive line. And it's not as though Cap's truly the offensive coordinator. I mean, Fedora has said that you know, after they go through their their script of plays, which they set up between uh, between possessions, you know, it is Keith Heckendorf making some of the play calls from up top. And so there's a lot of pieces in play. And people forget, too, you know who's listed as co-offensive coordinator on this staff? Gunner, Gunner Brewer. Brewer. Yeah. So you've got titles everywhere, and you've got this mixed bag of, of guys contributing. I don't think it's I don't think it's worked very well. And so I think if a if a move needs to be made, it's there. And you go back to having an offensive coordinator who's in charge of play calling. If you want to you know, offer your advice, have at it. You know, most coaches do. Uh, but I think that's really the only area. I think a lot of people, and I'll, I'll go back to this, you say, yeah, well, Cap's got to be the, the, the head that rolls. I don't know that that's the case. I, I think you just have to have somebody to come in and be that OC, but then you get into, okay, well, most offensive coordinators are quarterback coaches. So do you get rid of Heckendorf, even though Fedora seems to really like Keith? Yeah, Heckendorf's a a pretty dang good coach, too, so I I don't think that would be a good decision. So how do you handle that then, Jason? Honestly, I I don't really know that there's a whole lot that needs to change in the offensive offensive staff. I I mean, I know that's not going to be popular with some of the fans to hear, but when you have the injury situation that you had this year and you have a freshman quarterback most of the year and when he's not playing, you have a graduate transfer. And when, he, when those two aren't playing, you have a fairly limited sophomore who's out on the field. You know, it, the, the, the fact of the matter is no offense in college football is going to be very good without strong quarterback play. And that includes Alabama. That includes, that, I don't care who you are. If you don't have strong quarterback play, you're not going to be a successful offense. We saw last year, they could be pretty successful with a number two, a number two draft pick uh, under center. And then, and that was even with a number of injuries and issues up front and out wide and all that. They were, they were successful with that. I think if you'd have put Trubisky back with this group, they, they make a bowl, but you you have a little bit of a different situation at quarterback. That's an issue. Then all of a sudden you have the, the it's not even fair to call it a rash. You have a plague of injuries that afflicts almost exclusive. I mean, most of those injuries were on the offensive side of the ball and to really key guys 
when you're working with a young offense, young quarterback, and you look at who the you know freshman quarterbacks are in the country or around the country, and look at how their offense has performed, unless you can run the ball for five yards a carry without any threat of the off of of the pass like Georgia could, you're seeing. Go to go to cfbstats.com and look at uh, at quarterback rankings in terms of passer rating uh, on the season. And then just do a do a little search for the for the uh, the letters FR freshman, and you'll notice that they're all at the bottom. <laughs> and there's that, that's not that's not by accident. So personnel really matters, and when you have injuries at wide receiver, at offensive line, also among some of the guys who are expected to contribute at running back, that all matters. And so, to me, you don't judge the offensive staff on the basis of, well, you know, the offense was disappointing this year. Yeah, it was. Well, you also didn't expect to have 18, 20 guys injured over the course of the year. So to me, Cap's a good offensive line coach. You, you know, you continue to, to do what you need to do in terms of developing talent there. Heck has proven himself to be a good quarterback, a good quarterback coach and a developer of quarterback talent. Look at what he did with Marquise Williams. Look at what he did with, with, uh, with Mitch Trubisky. He's going to continue. And I thought, you know, the, the growth with, with Surratt from spring to fall was, was decent. So again, and, and Gunnar Brewer has shown that he can coach, coach wide receivers as well. Look at the development of those guys. You don't just fire coaches because you're not having success. The question is, are you getting guys who are, are getting their players to develop and improve their technique and, and have shown that they actually can do that stuff? If they have, then, you know, you, you stay the course. Look at Michigan State. They went, what, I think it was three and eight last year yep. under, uh, un, un, under a very good head coach. Uh, and, and you would expect that, you know, maybe he would uh, – Maybe D'Antonio would make make some changes after the season because they went three and eight. He he basically did nothing, and all of a sudden this year they're a top fifteen team again, top twenty team. They did nothing, but they had a whole different injury situation. Their schedule changed a little bit, and suddenly they look a whole lot better. And their coaches look like geniuses. Well, the difference isn't coaching. The difference was that the circumstances changed a little bit. So I know that's frustrating to hear for certain people for whom just change the coaches and we'll get different play. We'll, we'll get something different, something different's bound to be better. Different isn't always better. And, you know, if you've already got solid coaches that, that are running a, a, a coherent and consistent and good system, sometimes you just stick with that. Buck, I'll ask you this. And to your point about D'Antonio, Jason, Brian Kelly, clean house went from four and eight to a top. Yeah, it was a different team. situation. He had to clean house. D'Antonio right. didn't. So, Buck, my question to you being the wise man of the bunch and with an ear to the ground for the fan base, not that it matters unless you're in Tennessee, but does, does a change have to be made one way or another to sort of unite the fan base? If that's even important to Fedora and his inner circle. Well, my opinion is that there are going to be changes in the off season. I think, and, and I think, Partially, that may be due to fan base pushback, whatever you want to call it, unhappiness among Tar Heel Nation uh, to a degree. There, you can't go from eleven and one in the regular season in 2015 to three and nine a couple of years later, and, and expect 
everything, everybody to be happy. You know, there's, you know, the injuries certainly were, and, and Jason's right. It wasn't just a rash. It was a plague. And as far as quarterback play goes, Jason said, talked about, well, if Mitch Trubisky was there, um, maybe this is a, this year was a bowl team. Well, if Nathan Elliott or Sherratt had Bug Howard, Ryan Switzer, Mac Hollins, all those guys, and they had Elijah Hood and TJ Logan, I suspect they would have looked better as quarterbacks this year. So it wasn't just inexperience at the quarterback situation. It was inexperience everywhere. But all those things aside, I think that when you're under stress, like this particular season has been a stressful one for the staff, and you start examining everything in your program, you're going to uncover some weak links and things you're not doing right and players that are not developing the way you ex- would expect them to develop and and changes are going to get made and, and you know I fully expect that in the off season I don't know that Chris Kapilovic is going to be you know a casualty out of all of this but I don't expect he's going to be the titular offensive coordinator next year. Uh, I suspect they're going to bring in an offensive coordinator. And if they bring in an offensive happened, coordinator, they're going to have to fire somebody though. And you know, the ins and outs of it um, are yet to be determined. I'm, I'm fairly certain, but um, there is going to be, in my opinion, there will be changes made. And uh, somebody that's currently a coach at UNC this year is not going to be a coach at North Carolina next year. Who that's going to be, I don't know. But I, I fully expect changes to be made. Uh, I think that's a given and in my mind. And the way that I expect this to, to play out, I, I certainly expect there to be changes. How sweeping those changes are, I think, is yet to be determined. But that's my take on it whether it should happen or analyzing it from our perspective on the outside, I think is tough to do because I think you have to be almost inside the program and have the eyes on uh, the situation internally to be able to make those calls. And, and I fully expect Larry Fedora to make some calls in the off season. Greg, given the numbers on defense, even though to my eyes, I've said it a hundred times, I thought it looked better. Do you think any changes will be made or need to be made on that side of the ball? I would lean towards no there, but some have said that it needs to happen since the defense remains a weak link. Well, at some point, continuity has got to come into play. All the talk was about Gene Chizik retiring, but Papuchas was in a new role as D.C., and yes, I understand he was defensive coordinator at Nebraska, but he brought in three new guys. And after those first two games, in which you know I think the defense really lost the Cal game and the Louisville game for UNC, Pap was was pretty open and saying, "Look, you know, we, we kind of got away from what we started out to do in, in training camp. We're we're going to change up things and get back to who we thought we were." And that's when you start to you started to see that the defense kind of improve. Uh, and so I, I just think that you've got you know, a, pretty much a brand new staff on that side of the ball. 
2017. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense giving up on them after one year. You, you brought in Gene Chizik to completely rebuild this defense. This was year three. This was supposed to be a much better year for sure. Uh, but I think if you pull the plug on it now, you're just back into a, a harsh cycle of trying to get new faces in here, new schemes, all those types of things. So I, I think you have to stand pat on that side of the ball. Jason, to that point, the importance of continuity on a staff. I mean, everybody talks about Frank Beamer's up at Virginia Tech and even Fuente with Bud Foster still there. I mean, how important is that aspect of it not to just keep musical chairs year after year, you know, on the field, recruiting, all of that stuff. I mean, North Carolina to have the same staff year year after year after year would certainly be a benefit, I would assume, unless there was just, you know, poor coaches, and that can be debated as well. But your thoughts on the continuity issue Greg brings up? Uh, I I think it's a great point. I mean, I, I think that's one thing that a lot of times fans really tend to under underestimate is the impact of the positive impact of continuity in college football. Like you said, if you have good coaches, you don't have to have great coaches. If you have good, solid teachers who, who fundamentally know what they're doing and are calling sound, sound concepts, there's only so much you can do, you know, in, in football. I mean, you know, a smash route is a smash route, no matter what. Right. So it really doesn't, things don't change as much as people think, but the way that the terminology changes, you know, cover two is a cover two, but how you coach it can be a little different from one guy to another, but there are different ways of coaching it fundamentally sound. As long as your coaches are fundamentally sound, having continuity matters a tremendous amount because as soon as you bring in a new coach, you get different person or you get a different terminology. Generally you get, you know, different ways of teaching, different tendencies, different things that that coach is going to ask players to do. And now there's all this new, it's like learning a new language. So all of a sudden you go from second year French to first year Mandarin. And you know what? You're not fluent. (laughs) (laughs) So when you have consistency and that's where it's, you know, it's helpful that Fedora has his offensive system, whoever he's got calling the plays or whatever, they're running Fedora's stuff, and it's this, the terminology isn't changing. The stuff they're asking the players to do isn't going to change because he's got a system that's consistent and he believes in it. What that means is if you hire a new offensive coordinator, if you have some changes that happen, if a play caller differs in one game, it really doesn't matter because the players still understand the terminology. They still understand the reads that they're being asked to do. They still understand the process, and they can play fast. As soon as you change something and on defense it's even bigger it's an even bigger deal sometimes on defense you change something and guys are used to playing say a single safety robber coverage you know with some man on the outside and you know one gap and they're used to doing their specific assignments and and you you rep it so many times you can do it you can do it fast you can do it second nature again it's like being fluent in the language and then all of a sudden you have a change and somebody else comes in and now the terminology changes and you've got to remember, wait, wait, what does that mean? Oh, and what do I have to do on that? And then, and then you have fewer reps in your system. If you're a second or third year guy, you're basically bumped back another year or two because you know, you're having to relearn. And so then, 
you know, you're slowed down. You can't respond. You can't react as quickly because you have to think. And so that's where the continuity really, really helps is these guys grow one more year in the system. And, you know, that's the thing. Once you get to the NFL, yeah, those guys can go from system to system a little more easily because they've got so once you've learned three languages, the fourth in the same language family is a lot easier to learn. But these guys are on their first, second language, essentially, in college. And so that continuity really matters to maintain the fluency and the fluidity of being able to play fast and to be able to play your assignment without having to think. And, you know, you, you can still see some of these guys, the young guys this year were thinking at different points and it slows you down. That's and again, that's why in the NFL, a guy who's a, a 12 year veteran. Is faster on the football field than the rookie who sure as heck runs a lot faster 40 time and has a higher vertical than that 12 year veteran. But you put them on the same field and that 12 year veteran is a grown man who knows what he's doing, doesn't take a false step and is is dominating the action. He's not the better athlete, but he's a heck of a lot better football player because it's all natural at this point to him, and he's not having to think. Absolutely, but with continuity means cash. Does the Carolina administration have the stomach to provide the cash, um, whether it's however they get it, to give Fedor that so he can get some continuity with some good quality coaches that, A, don't use it as a stepping stone or don't offload a year or two down the road so Fedora can build that continuity. Is that there? Can that happen? Will that happen in this offseason, do you think? Well, certainly, as to your stomach question, no question. There, There is absolutely uh, 100% buy-in in the administration to pay whatever they need to pay for assistant coaching talent and, and to reward coaches that have done well and, and or to bring in a new coach that is going to require a high dollar salary everything that that I've heard from people that know and I talk to some of those guys regularly and I I talked to some of them again today there's there's absolutely full willingness that they don't just have the stomach for it that they're anxious to be able to do exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, I've heard numbers thrown around that, you know, for the right offensive coordinator, they'd be willing to spend as much as a million dollars a year. Or if if they needed to, uh, they would increase the assistant coach uh, budget by $2 million overall. So the, the, as far as being able to provide Larry Fedora the resources that he needs for you know, to have a high quality coaching staff and, and they don't come cheap anymore. You know, that assistant coaching salaries have, have exploded, um, you know, over the last couple of decades. And, you know, you've got offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators making over a million a year now in a lot of places, just regular straight up position coaches making 500 grand or more. So, you know, the, the, the market out there is competitive, and but there's a complete willingness on part on the part of the so-called powers that be to to provide Fedora whatever resources he needs in that regard. Good stuff, guys. We've talked for almost an hour. We'll probably have to come back and do another one of these because our listeners will comment that we didn't answer their question. But I'm gonna 
cut this one off. Greg, Jason, and Buck, I know it's been a grind. I appreciate y'all joining me. Um, but we let's promise to talk again soon, especially if there's any news on that coaching front. And uh, we'll do that. But that'll do it for this edition. Boys, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Tommy. Uh, thanks, thanks, Tommy. And great job all year, man. Hey, man, couldn't do it without Buck providing the keys and uh, you and Greg and John and everybody doing the heavy lifting. So good times. Take care. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.